I want to preach this morning about faith, what it is and what it is not. And I want to talk about faith development, how we can grow in faith, how we can live more faithfully. We read in the book of Hebrews, according to St. Paul, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Defined as such, faith is a way of knowing and understanding distinct from our culture's other way, that of empirical science. Some see faith and science at loggerheads, or in the words of the late popular biologist Stephen Jay Gould, non-overlapping magisteria. I see them as harmonious and complementary paths to truth. There is a tendency to equate faith with doctrine. Doing so leads to arguments about doctrine and gets us nowhere, especially among Unitarian Universalists. Whether faith is connected to a deity or not, its essence, it seems to me, lies in trusting ourselves to discover the deepest truths upon which we can rely. In the language of the original Buddhist text, Pali, the word usually translated as faith, confidence, or trust, is sadha, meaning to place the heart upon. To have faith is to offer one's heart or give over one's heart. In Pali, faith is a verb, an action, as it is also in Latin and Hebrew. In other words, faith is not a singular state that we either have or do not have. It is something that we do, a willingness to take the next step, to see the unknown future as an adventure, to launch upon a journey. Virgil's classic, the Aeneid, is an epic journey of faith. The hero, Aeneas, escapes the sack of Troy having no idea where he is going. On his way to do one thing, blown by storm and fortune, he ends up doing another. Sinbad of the Thousand and One Arabian Nights suffers a similar heroic fate. Both heroes' ships are battered, plundered, and attacked, but guided by a faint yet compelling sense of mission, they repeatedly face the unknown. Just when things look good, it all collapses. In the face of doom and at the last minute, an escape route is suddenly revealed. One event after another after another, all constantly changing and none of it predictable. Still, the heroes keep plugging away. Abraham Lincoln, a real-life hero, was once asked what the deepest truth was he knew. His reply, this too shall pass. He realized that everything is in a process of flux, forever changing, evolving, or transitioning through space and time, that change is the essence of reality. Solid as they seem, even the towering Cascade and Olympic Mountains 
are slowly crumbling and will one day disappear. Our internal states change too. Implacable heartache gives way to new love. Physical distress subsides. Excitement wanes. No matter what is happening, when we recognize the inevitability of change, ordinary, even oppressive dimensions of our lives become alive with prospect. Things may improve or they may get worse, but they are bound to be different tomorrow. This is the first step, the beginning of faith, accepting the inevitability of change. The second step is going forward anyway, uncertain how events will unfold, but risking that they might well get better and willing to find out either way. Building on the work of the developmental psychologists Jean Piaget and Lawrence Colbert, theologian James Fowler and religious educator John Westerhoff both suggest that people evolve in their understanding and practice of faith. From innocent faith to literal faith to critical faith to integrative faith, whether there are actually stages or not, Fowler and Westerhoff help us conceptualize the idea of faith as a verb, as becoming, as a journey. Sharon Salzberg describes her faith journey in the language of Buddhism. I've drawn from her work in the preparation of this sermon. Sharon Salzberg grew up in a secular Jewish household. She discovered Buddhism as a young adult and took to it quickly. Initially, she was dazzled by her meditation teachers. She gobbled up their every word. She describes this period as bright faith, healthy in that it mobilized her energy to let go of the convenient and the familiar and strike out in a new unknown direction. Bright faith, however, too often morphs into something resembling blind faith, unthinking devotion to a teacher or teaching. In Salzburg's understanding of Buddhism, bright faith is only the beginning. And it's not something about putting aside our and, and it's not about putting aside our discriminating intelligence, but it is about putting aside our cynicism and apathy. Moreover, bright faith can be inspiring enough to remain a unifying touchstone throughout one's journey. Consider Francis S. Collins. Francis Collins is an American physician geneticist noted for his leadership of the Human Genome Project. He is the current director of the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. No matter how much science describes the temporal sequence of sound waves in a Bach concerto, or the mass in D minor, writes Collins. There is something more there that lifts the spirit. It's the realization that these kinds of spiritual experiences cannot be dismissed as epiphenomena froth on the surface of a cold, hard universe that inspires my and human passion, concludes Collins. Physicist Warner Heisenberg 
recounts just such a unifying and sustaining experience in the years following World War I. At a gathering of young people looking to establish a new order for the defeated German state, Heisenberg found himself dispirited by their endless conflicting blather. He writes of an unifying center affected, the absence rather, of any unifying center affected him viscerally. He writes, thus the hours ticked by while more speeches were delivered and more disputes were born. The shadows of the courtyard grew longer and finally the hot day gave way to a slate dusk and a moonlit night. The talk was still going on when quite suddenly a young violinist appeared on the balcony above the courtyard. There was a hush as high above us he struck up the first great D minor chord of Bach's Chacon. All at once and with utter certainty I found my link with the center. The clear phrases of the Chacon touched me like a cool wind breaking through the mist and revealing the towering structures beyond. There has always been a path to the center order in the language of music, in philosophy, and in religion. Today, no less than in Plato's day and in Bach's, concluded Heisenberg, that I knew now from my own experience. Testing what we have read or heard from others, be they gurus or scientists, is necessary if we are to turn initial bright enthusiasm into something deeper, long-lasting and soul-sustaining. We must ask questions, find our voices, explore, and verify through our own experience what we have heard of or seen outside ourselves. This is the Protestant principle, the priesthood of all believers. When we fail to question what we are putting our faith in, fail to test it against our own experience, bright faith devolves into blind faith. We must be able to try things out, to doubt, and to wonder. And here's why. Faith and doubt are not at war. They're not really opposites. They imply each other. They arise mutually. They're mutually arising phenomena, like two sides of the same coin. Cherish your doubts, wrote the Unitarian minister Robert Weston, for doubt is the attendant of truth. It is an acid which eats away the false. Let no one fear the truth, nor that, let no one fear for the truth, that doubt may consume it. For doubt is a testing of belief. The truth stands boldly and unafraid. It is not shaken by the testing, for truth, if it be truth, arises from each testing more secure and stronger. Beliefs that cannot be questioned are based on fear, and whenever fear dominates, our sense of possibilities starts collapsing. With, fever, with fewer and fewer possibilities, we freeze. The opposite of faith is not doubt. It is inertia doing nothing. People become radicalized on the internet or otherwise just going wacko and shooting a bunch of other people. This has become commonplace nowadays. 
people were deeply shaken. I know I was. Nine years ago this coming month when the, we first heard about the massacre of 20 students at Virginia Tech. Professor Livia Libuscu, a Holocaust survivor, was shot and killed in that massacre while holding off the gunman at an entrance to his classroom so his students could escape through the windows. Professor Libescu exemplifies, it seems to me, what it means to be a person of faith. The 76-year-old engineering professor, having lived under both Nazi and communist tyranny, acted immediately and with no thought to his personal safety. Things may get worse, or they may get better, but fear only freezes us and prevents us from acting wisely and compassionately to do what we can on behalf of others and ourselves. The English word courage has the same etymological root as the French word cour, meaning heart, to have courage is to have a full heart. Bravery is the essence, is, bravery is hardly the absence of fear. It is acting despite fear. Likewise, faith. To be faithful is not to banish anxiety that things may not turn out the way we hope. It is making choices about what we can affect, fully aware that much is indeed beyond our control. The gift of faith, writes Sharon Salzberg, allows us to act guided by a more holistic vision of life with all its mutability, effervescence, dislocations, and unruliness. It's easy to lose touch with a holistic vision. Another way, it seems to me, to say lose touch with a holistic vision is to say lose our sense of the interconnected web of life. And when we do, it's so easy to go into despair. A woman who lived through the bombing of Hiroshima described her dislocation. When the bomb dropped, we all became separate human beings, utter isolation and disconnection. Some people, some of us during the crisis, can feel devastated in situations far less horrendous than an atomic bomb. Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl writes that when we despair, whatever the cause, we feel devastated and alone. We become completely separate human beings. The shooter at Virginia Tech, it is now clear, had become isolated in just this sad and awful way. It is now clear he had become isolated in this sad way. Meanwhile, teenage ISIS jihadists, in their longing to connect with something, and maybe some of these hooligans who overtook the Capitol, their longing to connect with something to overcome their isolation become equally destructive, even more so, as part of a mob. We are part of the web, interwoven into Sharon Salzberg's holistic vision. Whether we're aware of it or not, Physicist John Stuart Bell theorized that particles that were once connected, when separated, would still behave as if connected, even at a distance. Another physicist, Alan Aspect, later proved Bell's theorem by separating photons and measuring their spin. No matter how distant the photons were, when the spin of one was measured, its partner simultaneously showed the opposite complementary spin. 
The correlation was instantaneous, faster than the speed of light. When I contemplate interdependence on such a scale, it blows my mind, and it makes me marvel. But it also makes me sick, literally sick, when contemplating the environmental degradation at every hand. Deforestation, pollution, and mismanagement affects biodiversity, migratory patterns, and now even our climate. The good news is that because of our interconnectedness, what we do collectively and individually does make a difference. The immediate result of any action and others' response to it are only a small part of that action's value. Equally important are the quality of our intentions and the skillfulness of our actions. Think of Professor Librescu. He saved only a few lives, but he inspired the faith of countless others, me among them, and will continue for years to come. Theologian Paul Tillich defined faith as alignment with our ultimate concern, those values to which we are most devoted, that form the core of what we care about most passionately. An ultimate concern is not a facile whim, but a touchdown at the center of one's life. For many Unitarian Universalists, justice serves as an ultimate concern. UU Bernice Johnson Reagan, a, a singer-songwriter with Sweet Honey in the Rock, was a civil rights activist in the 60s, desegregating public facilities in her native Georgia. Recalling the danger of those days, she exclaims, now I sit back and look at some of the things we did and I say, what in the world came over us? But death had nothing to do with what we were doing. If somebody shot at us, we would be dead. And when people died, we cried and we went to funerals and we went and did the next thing the next day because it really was beyond life and death. It was really like Sometimes you know what you're supposed to be doing, and when you know what you're supposed to be doing, it's somebody else's job to kill you. Unwavering faith in justice enabled Bernice Johnson Reagan and her fellow activists to carry on despite their fear and uncertainty, and they continue to inspire us to this day. For many UUs, faith in the law of nature is their ultimate concern. Seeds regenerating after a forest fire, rivers flowing to the sea, renewal following decay. It is reported that many Hiroshima survivors in the wake of the bomb doubted that grass, trees, and flowers would ever grow there again. Many survivors recalling those days say that only after seeing for themselves that natural law still prevailed did they have the faith to go on. The return of the spring confirms a faith shared by many. For others, growing in their capacity to love is the ultimate concern. In one of his last sermons, Martin Luther King spoke of his legacy. Don't tell them I won over 400 awards, including the Nobel Peace Prize. Tell them I learned how to love. Suzuki Roshi, author of the Buddhist classic Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, writes, even if the sun were to rise in the west, the Bodhisattva has only one way. That way 
that one way for bodhisattvas is dedicating one's life to the benefit of all beings. Whatever one's ultimate concern, the outcome of our efforts is always uncertain. But one thing is not uncertain. Whether we know success or failure, wealth or subsistence, acclaim or disregard, we can be inspired by our sense of purpose in all our choices. Amid the recent, often vulgar and bombastic presidential clamoring and almost routine mass slayings, I am reminded of something my former grandmother-in-law, a coal miner's wife for much of her life, uh, and she knew what she was talking about, once told me when her granddaughter and me were in a kind of bickering at each other as I was about to walk out the door and she ran after us and put us, grabbed us and said, never go out the door angry with someone. You never know what day will be your last. You don't have to work in a coal mine. Any day could be the last day of any of our lives. Living in faith means living that day, this day, dedicated to what we most believe in unwilling to be frozen by fear. So may it be. Shalom, salam, namaste, amen.